Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 59. All right, so we're recording this on Sunday after the lottery opened this past Friday for dub dub tickets. And people have started getting credit cards charged uh, for their tickets and orders showing up in their uh, order history. Have you guys uh, been charged? I got nothing. I haven't been charged. Now, that's only because I got an email that said they had trouble charging my card. So I think I'm in as long as I have my payment information fixed with them by Monday, 12 p.m. Pacific date time. Do you have like an expired card in there or something? No, I th- I'm not really sure what Where happened. Did it get like, have you called your bank to say, hey, if there's a charge for $1,600 that comes through, let it go through? Because you may need I've to never, do that. That's what yeah. it was. It was like a fraud detection thing. I've never had any trouble in the past, but I did. I was trying to buy a, a game online uh, through my phone for and my PlayStation, and I was having trouble getting it to recognize my uh, code, my uh, security code for the card. So I think maybe that might have played into it. So I just went into the website, went into Apple's website, and put in a different code just in case, or a different card. Hmm. Well, good luck. Sounds yeah. like you're in, though. I'm super jealous. I should be in. We still have a little bit of time. Uh, no rejection letters have gone out. They seem to be doing it in batches. Yeah. So I suppose there's still a chance that uh, that will see more people get accepted before noon tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I don't really. I'm not holding my breath. I think I've probably missed out. This will be the third year in a row that I didn't didn't win the lottery, but not Slam too Apple. broken up about it. You know, it's a win the lottery and pay sixteen hundred dollars plus right. travel. You sound, you sound pretty hotel. sad, Alex. <laughs> you sound sad. <laughs> well, you could still pay travel and hotel if you want to come out for. All those other conferences. like Yeah, there's AllConf, and, and I don't know if they're having it again this year, but they had Layers, the design conference last year. I think they might be trying to do that again. So I've got plane tickets and hotel and all that stuff all booked, so I'm going either way. Now the problem is, do I buy the the paid uh, AltConf ticket now, or am I going to get screwed out of that one too if I wait too long? <laughs> Imagine there's going to be a mad rush after the rejections go out. Uh, but I think I'll probably be fine. I think the auditorium that they have seats 400 people. And all comp? Yeah, at least that's what I saw. I think I saw online. So I don't know how many tickets they're selling. But I thought it was just the movie theater last year, which I guess could maybe sit 400. That's a pretty big movie theater by Moscone. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's two auditoriums in the building they're in. It may be the same location. Okay. It was the Metreon last year. And they were uh, live streaming two sessions at a time. So 
But uh, it is at the Matreon again, the AMC Matreon, and uh, they've got 400 seats spread across two theaters. Yeah. Okay. Sounds fun. I've already got some like random meetings booked with some uh, people I work with in San Francisco, too. So I'm going. <laughs> if you don't get a ticket, are you going to go, Alex? I'm on the fence. I, I may still try and go. Um, maybe not for as long. You know, probably doesn't. No need to stay through Friday. I I could travel on Friday instead of uh, hanging out for sessions. But I don't know. We'll see. It's in a way, it's cheaper if I don't get a ticket to Dub Dub and go out there. I may just take the week and try and watch the sessions as they're live streamed uh, from home. I don't know. We'll see. Well, you could go out there and. Try to steal somebody's pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one way of getting in, right? Well, I saw at least one person on Twitter uh, put their name in a couple of times through different accounts and won more than one ticket. So, oh. And there's probably people out there that have passes they don't need. But they do a pretty good job of, on registration, making sure that your ticket matches your ID the, um, right. After that, though, it's pretty much as long as you have the lanyard, you're you're good. Yeah, make sure your name is facing outward too, all times. Yeah, and don't cover it up <laughs> with your jacket or anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I guess they get kind of angry when you do that. Well, they have people standing at the escalators checking for the the passes as you yeah. go. Yeah, and one year they were even searching bags too, so it was kind of a pain to go in without a with a bag. Yeah, you're right. They, I last year I went, they were searching bags. I don't know if they've kept that practice up. I think that was the year that the Boston Marathon got got uh, attacked, and then I believe I went the following year, and then it was okay. They relaxed it. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I could see. Boston Marathon and WWDC being pretty high targets. Oh, especially on the first day where you, you've got fairly influ- influential people, including a, a former vice president in the building. Well, on the first day, I can understand, but the whole week? Yeah. Eh. We're just as important as Al Gore. Come on. <laughs> Everybody counts. Man. Yeah, so... <laughs> hopefully I will have my ticket by the time everybody listens to this if not next week you'll hear me ranting and raving about how bad my bank is or something like that I'm telling you you need to call them on Monday morning and be like hey there's going to be this $1600 charge coming through let it through like uh, I was seeing kind of the same things happening uh, like I'm even this these past few weeks, more more like a month ago when the new VR headsets came out, people were freaking out and having issues. I, I wonder if banks have gotten more, they have more automated fraud detection stuff in place now and are more uh, more easy to, to flag stuff. I don't know. I mean, I actually, when, when I had that trouble and then one of my coworkers found that he got a ticket, I went and went into the app store and actually purchased an app just to make sure that things were still going through. 
But a dollar app versus a yeah. $1,600 purchase <laughs> That's a shows up differently to the bank. Rightfully yeah. so. Um, there were some rumors with the the first day keynotes being moved to the the uh, other location that they were going to increase capacity this year from the usual 5,000 to, I think the rumor that I read said 7,000. Don't know if there's any credibility to that, but uh, you know, so far it doesn't look like it's helped my chances of getting tickets. And uh, Alex, you didn't get tickets yet either, so either demand continues to increase or they haven't increased capacity at all. Well, it's Bill Graham Civic Auditorium, and according to Wikipedia, it holds seven hundred or seven thousand people. So, I guess maybe they could bump capacity a bit. But they still have the Apple employees and the, the famous right. people, Rat, the press too. Yeah, yeah, the press are famous <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to actually bump capacity or not. I guess we should have applied for press passes. Yeah, that would have been an idea. We're kind of like press, right? Yeah, that's right. We should have done that next year, maybe. (laughs) I think they have pretty strict requirements uh, to get qualified as press. Oh, we're legit. I don't... (laughs) Like, you have to be paid or something like that? Could be. I'll pay you guys each one dollar, and you can each pay me fifty cents. We'll be good. <laughs> oh, I don't know if they've before. done the. I don't know if they've <laughs> given out the passes, or if the, if applications have started for the student scholarships and uh, yeah. STEM program. I don't think that has the same deadline. So if you're a student or um, you, you qualify for one of the STEM programs, you know that's a great way to get in. I know I I did see somebody on Twitter talking about taking a break from writing their app for their um, for their scholarship submission. So it's it's definitely in progress. I don't know what the deadline is, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Last year, I think they had someone as young as 12 uh, get the student scholarship, which was kind of surprising because technically you have to be 13. To apply. Hmm. Well, maybe it's like voting rules where if you're 13 by the time the conference happens, then, then you're okay. I, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> I thought about that, but I think it's the, you know, it's the Child Protection Act that uh, you have to be 13 or older for uh, your information, email address and such to be for a website to be able to capture it. So I think it had more to do with that than, than like the age. The age restriction was based on that more than anything else. So I'm not sure how they bypassed that. Maybe lied on the yeah. application. I don't know. That could be. <laughs> think about all the kids that have Facebook accounts that are under 13. I mean, my yeah. kid's school uses Gmail and for all the students, so... And they tell them it's school-sponsored uh, lying. That's always great. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure how, how they worked that out. With Maybe they had some deal with Google. And maybe the Special Google email addresses are personally identifiable. Maybe they're generic email addresses. But, 
yeah, it's a little weird. But uh, hmm. yeah, so now I'm not uh, able to apply for the student scholarship. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get get surprised tomorrow morning and get a ticket. But I suspect I'll be left out again for the third year in a row. But that's all right. I've been to WWDC three times um, before the lottery started. So yeah, you were, you went back when you had to work for it. Yeah, and I would have. That gone... was that was fun working for it. Yeah, you had all yeah. these redundant like notification systems set up, and yeah, the in 2010 when I first tried to go. You didn't really have to work for it. And it was a, almost a full week before the tickets sold out. So um, it wouldn't have been hard to get tickets that year. It was more the negotiation with my employers at the time, um, myself and my teammate who were doing mobile at work. We were going to pay our own way, but uh, we were trying to get them to not force us to burn vacation to go and they they wouldn't bite so hmm. we had to pass that year <laughs> that's a bummer yep see what else is going on but well, did you guys see this thing about apple watch having to go native by june i believe it seems like new submissions after june yeah they they yeah only will accept apple watch apps that are native so hopefully that'll force some people i'm guessing around September or October to at least go with the Apple Watch native stuff. Because you could just leave your, your app to, link to to just stagnate, but once iOS 10 comes out, which I'm sure will be super cool, you're going to have to update your app. And hopefully yeah. you either have to drop your Apple Watch app, which maybe some people do because... I don't know if it's gotten the reception that they wanted or otherwise you update it. I suspect yeah. the extensions will stop working. Um which with watchOS 3. I would imagine so. It's, it's a small hmm. device, right? There's they can't keep supporting a whole lot of legacy stuff inside that device. It does have what eight gigabytes of storage, which is no small thing. But that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know if they'll they'll kill off the old stuff in the new version of OS. I would have thought that they would have kept it going and forced apps updating to be the thing that forces them to be updated. I think it could be both, but I could see WatchOS three not loading extensions. I'm kind of hoping that they're trying to get rid of that whole uh, sock puppet thing that they've got <laughs> going on. At, you laugh, but that's actually what it's what it, um, the library is called underneath the hood. <laughs> that's funny. It's a it was a painful approach. I mean, it, trying to build an Apple Watch using the extension model, like on the surface, it made sense, but. You had to create multiple provisioning profiles. You had to keep the versionings in version in sync. I think maybe even the build number needs to be in sync. Um, yeah, it just it was painful. It's slightly better with WatchOS two being native apps, but um, I think I think now you just have to have your app 
profile and then your watch kit app profile. You don't need the extension anymore, but it's, it's at least a little better, but still a, takes a little coordination to set it up and more provisioning profiles that we all love to, to <laughs> work with. Yeah, maybe we'll get rid of provisioning profiles at WW this year. That would be cool, but it would never happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could see improvements with test flight. Or I could hope for improvements for test flight. And we can get into a whole wish list for WWE. Yeah, we'll save that. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll wait till we get a little closer to the event. I could, I could definitely see real, truly native apps in iOS or watchOS 3. What do you mean real, truly native apps? Uh, things that where you can actually program against the UI kit versus the uh, watch kit sock puppet stuff. Because like do cause real, really, you could do real core animation type of animations instead of mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. I got really excited at the last WWDC seeing or <laughs> or whatever event that was I forget but they for WatchOS two they had a slide up there that said animation and I I thought great we can actually do some cool stuff and you now it's still nope. the flip book style image. Keyframes. Keyframe animations. Yeah. And not even really, I wouldn't even call it keyframes. It's just, here's 360 images, animate this. <laughs> and so really the, the main difference between WatchKit 1 and WatchKit 2 is where your app extension runs. You're still having to program with the same UI interface. Yeah, and yeah the same still, side bucket. You yeah. get the advantage that the app can be independent of the phone. The phone doesn't have to be on or nearby, and it can use uh, known Wi-Fi connections. So, if it is a connected app, it could still, you know, like a weather app or something, it could still go out and get the weather. But um, so it was definitely an improvement over uh, the first version, the extensions. But you're right; it's you're still very much in this sandbox of functionality that you can play with with watchOS 2 so we might see that open up a bit we might see new hardware that can handle real animations a little bit better I think you know I don't know about you guys but I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the big complaints with the watch now is is sluggish yeah well that's because everything is running in a weird process state Mm, I I mean part of that I think it's because the watch hardware is crappy too. I mean, you could run the same weird process state on an iPhone and it would probably be just fine just because those devices are so much faster. Well, yeah, but I think people have ported games to the watch and not using WatchKit and they've kind of hacked around and gotten their own Mm -hmm. native apps running and they run well enough. I mean, they're simple games like, I think somebody did a Flappy Bird clone that was running on the watch. And so it's not a slouch hardware. It's still decent. I mean, it, it, I mean, it is a pretty powerful machine on your wrist, relatively speaking. And it's a first gen. I thought it was like the equivalent of like an iPhone 3GS, except for maybe it had a little yeah. bit better of a GPU, maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, you know, that first gen iPhone was pretty cool but once that next one came out it felt like <laughs> a dinosaur 
you know, there was yeah. a pretty big jump between version one and version two. So, yeah, you know, that chart they show every year with like the exponential increase of CPU power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, things get faster, get smaller. We're probably not going to see a new design this year. We'll probably see the same design, but with some better uh, hardware internals. So, we, you know, you might be right, Sam. We might see some first-class apps. Um, I think we still have the problem as developers coming up with good use cases for watch apps. You know, there's outside of fitness, there hasn't, and weather, and, you know, a couple other use cases, there aren't a whole lot of killer apps out there. Yeah, I feel like on watchOS, they need to either, like, completely change around the watch UI, like the watchOS stuff, like how you get into apps, how you can use them and all that kind of stuff. Or they just need to, people just need to realize, oh, maybe third-party apps aren't necessarily that much of a thing for for Apple Watch. I don't know. Well, I, I have a feeling we're going to have a discussion at work whether we should drop our watch extension or not. Yeah. I mean, it's... It sees some traffic, but by far it's not a very significant amount of traffic, I would say. And the people who have watches is a much smaller number than the people who have phones. So you've already reduced your audience significantly. And then just coming up with a truly useful thing to do on the watch is is difficult. Yeah. Well, I think we've and we've learned we've learned too since the watch came out like what are some bad use cases for watch apps like yeah. shrinking down your phone UI not the best use case even if it's like a super simplified small portion of it like it normally doesn't work it's got to be something like complementary or something like that, that that adds to or enhances not something that's like just a little piece of the the phone app I think yeah oh, yeah. It's really not that hard to pull your phone out of your pocket <laughs> to get things done. <laughs> so it's uh, it it's got to be more compelling than oh, I'm going to save two milliseconds or two maybe two seconds pulling my phone out of my pocket to do this one task. It's, it's got to be that hey, this is better on my watch. Like to some degree, I think the weather app on the watch is fairly well done. And sometimes I like that better than the weather apps I've, I have on my phone. I will say I do tend to use that one more than the weather apps on my phone. But when is the last time you guys sent your heartbeat to somebody? I actually did at lunch the other day with someone because they were saying the exact same thing. When was the last time I ever actually sent a heartbeat? So I sent him one. <laughs> and we drew some pictures back and forth. It was a fun time. Yeah. So I like my watch but still on the side of the apps not really being there. Oh, yeah, I, I, I still wear mine every day. I know a lot of people have stopped, but, uh, yeah, same, same exact thing as he said, Sam, I agree. But then again, if we have native apps, we can do things like drawing pictures in our own apps and sending them to each other. Well, being able to create custom... Um, watch faces could, you know, I, I don't see that being a huge money maker, but I could see that if they opened that up for third parties, yeah, that would be see nice. A, a big surge mm -hmm. in 
and third-party apps just for a watch face. And I'm sure there's unique, uh, maybe not requirements, but unique interests out there that would like different watch faces. Maybe you don't like Mickey Mouse, but you, you like the concepts. Of, or maybe right. maybe they just give us a complication where we can just like throw an image somewhere and we can manually position it. I bet that would get us yeah. a lot of the way there. And one of our clients has a custom timer and it would be great on the watch, but without good animations, you know, first class animations or the ability to create a custom complication or watch face uh, that includes that animation. It, the watch doesn't make a whole lot of sense yet. Yeah, you just got those small little things. Those are no good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of talk about Apple experimenting with paid search results for the App Store. Now, it seemed kind of like a controlled leak, if you will. Like, let's let's start getting them preparing developers for this to be a thing <laughs> before dub dub. Yeah. I mean, so it wouldn't the- surprise me, but it would wouldn't make me happy. So this would be like sponsored positioning, like on a Google search, it would show up like as a paid placement when you search for certain keywords. Is that what we're talking about? That's that's how I understand it. Uh, Android added something like this to Google Play uh, the middle of last year, I think. Uh, we've messed around with it on Android, and I mean, I think it. It's a thing that makes sense. Like uh, the App Store needs to kind of continue to mature. I'm surprised at all the backlash there is, although I kind of get it. It well, is kind of weird with them shutting down iAd, then to add basically ad placements or paid search results to the App Store. They had to have those developers go do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, to me, it it reminds me of how like amusement parks where a long time ago everybody was equal, and you all had to wait in line at the same time for the same amount of time. And nowadays, you can spend a little extra money and just skip ahead to the front of the line. And that's that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you've got the means, so right replacement, right. You know, I, I will say if if you're and Alex, you might have a little bit more insight into this, but if you are paying for advertising for your app, you know, outside of like Facebook ads and iAd, which that's going to go away. You know, what are your options to advertise your app in a context that makes sense? Like, you know. When you're searching in the app store, that's probably the best place to be able to advertise because you know people are out there searching for apps and they're ready to buy or download an app at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you're in a grocery store and you see like a special placement like an end cap or something for something uh, in, in the store. I mean, it seems like a really natural place and a place that has really good conversion. I mean, it's I think it's a better user experience for that to be where or ads can be as opposed to, and I say this with my apps having ads in them, like having apps in other apps, because you're trying to use that app. If you're in the other app, you, you may not want to, to go install another app 
Especially there, if mean, it's a game or something that, you know, you're in the middle of playing the game or you're getting ready to yeah. play the game. You're not necessarily ready to download or, or buy another app. I admit that it's, I mean, it's not, definitely not the ideal uh, user experience, just like commercials aren't the ideal user experience, like if you're watching a TV show, but somehow there's money has to go to these content creators. Yeah. If you want, if you want free content, you get, it's got to get paid for somehow. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that uh, Steve Jobs basically, like, part of the reason for his, the creation of iAd when he was there was to keep apps cheap. And it kind of, I mean, kind of helped further that goal. And to some degree, it was to keep apps cheap, but not have to reduce themselves to a poor experience. iAd didn't necessarily deliver on these these high-end at full screen animated or video advertisements that were promised. I mean, there were a handful at start and then it, then it changed quickly to be a little different than the other options. But I, I think even still, I had performing reasonably well for developers. Yeah. And I, and I understand why people are kind of, not happy about this development too. Just uh, if you think of it as, you know, indie developers, especially have been complaining. The app store is not a way to make a business. Apple needs to do more. Apple needs to do more. Uh, This does not further an indie developer, probably, uh, you know, become a sustainable business in the app store. It makes it worse, probably. But there's lots of other people that, want to have apps in the app store and, and do business as well that have money to throw in into the ring. And the app store currently isn't great for them either. I mean, like, like think of like a bigger app company, uh, I don't know, OmniFocus or someone like that who has a marketing budget and all that stuff, or even like someone like, a, you know, some like the Tapbots people who make a Twitter client and they always complain. They release the new, uh, the new version of their app and they have to do it as a separate SKU and they have no search foo anymore. Well, you pay for an ad and it at least gets you up into the the top part of, of the search. Uh, I mean, it seems like a no brainer to me. Well, if Google's doing it, then Apple is <laughs> probably definitely, Apple is definitely going to be doing it. Yeah. They always go back and forth on that kind of stuff. Yeah, it seems like an inevitability. It's not really like a some revolutionary new thing that Google came up with, but yeah. yeah. I think my biggest worry is that okay, so take the Tapbot guys and Twitter maybe decides that they just want to outspend all of those guys and so whenever you search for a Twitter client, there's Twitter right at the top no matter what and the Tapbot guys are down somewhere because they couldn't afford to pay what Twitter was paying. Yeah. That's probably not the best example because Twitter probably should be at the top if you search for a Twitter client. Well, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, it's but the, 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 you know, not to pick on Omni Group, but if you're looking for a to do list or uh, getting things done, Omni Group's going to be able to probably outspend an indie developer. Yeah. But I mean, this is a, uh... Like, take the example of, like, all right, you're some 
software company who decides for whatever reason, I want to get into Twitter apps. It's kind of hard to do right now. Uh, so maybe they spend a lot of resources and make a great Twitter app. And if you've you know, had a bunch of people working on it, then you can probably afford some advertising too. I mean, I think it helps people that are at least somewhat serious be able to get there. Like if you have a category where no one's making any money, like, uh, I don't know, RSS readers, it probably seems like there's some money being made, <laughs> but not a bunch. Um, I can't imagine it's going to cost that much to put an RSS reader ad out there to get yourself into the search results if you make a new RSS reader app, you know? I mean, yeah. I... Yeah, but wait a minute. Whenever you think that you can't imagine something that Apple puts out there not costing much, <laughs> that's always the wrong thought. Well, it's, it's the number of impressions, how many times your your shows up. Like you've got to spend quite a bit of money on Facebook ads to get to really get any uh, traction. Yeah, uh, and probably the same with Google AdWords too. Um, it's a little more cost effective, we found, but yeah, still this, this not will cheap. probably be cheaper than Google AdWords because it's a smaller context, but it it, it kind of, it'll probably depend on how many other people are trying to get ads for that same keyword. You know, Twitter might be a common one. You know, things that uh, photo apps or social networking apps probably have a decent amount of competition for ad placement. But I, I'm yeah. not against this. I, I think as long as they don't do it in an ugly, sleazy way or any sleazier than it has to be, um, I, I think. I don't know I, how to do it in what anyone would consider non. I mean, well. <laughs> I don't. I don't There's know not why. Much room, wiggle room there. I don't know why this is, but like when I search on Google and that first two or three results, now I think it's like four or five. <laughs> I come up saying it's an ad. I skip over that, even if it's the same one as the one four down. I'll skip over the ad one and click on the the non ad one. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why that is, but you know, at the same time, if if like iOS Dev Weekly has a sponsored link and I'm actually interested in that topic, I'll I'll click on that link because I know it benefits iOS Dev Weekly and it's something I know it's something I'm probably interested in. Yeah, I mean I know as developers a lot of the times I've found that we have this like aversion to marketing. It's like this horrible thing. You want someone else to do it. I mean I certainly do and I have to do a lot of advertising stuff in my day to day. And it, it's, I mean, it's a legit thing that that's how businesses can make money is you, you market. And I, I think it's cool to have a really effective way to, to do that on iOS that we didn't before. I know I'm no one, no one else agrees with me, I'm sure in the, in the developer <laughs> community, but <laughs> I, I think everybody agrees that app developers need some way of being discovered and this is if Apple does this, it's at least them trying to come up with ways of, of making that possible. Yeah. It, it may not work or it may may end up being slanted towards the companies that are already successful. But um, at least there's something in there trying to, to yeah. make changes. 
Well, and the big companies have complaints about how the App Store works too, so they're trying to make them happy as well. Uh, and it somewhat related to this. Uh, have you guys seen the news story going around about the decline in iPhone sales? Sounds like we're gonna have another quarter where the sales have gone down year over year, and uh, you know all the naysayers like Apple is doomed are coming out again, but. One of the things that Apple has tried to position themselves as recently is like a services company. Uh, and this is another another way for them to to bring in revenue. Uh, but what are your guys' thoughts on that uh, iPhone sales decline that, that the analysts are all predicting? Does that affect you much or what do you think? I think that always happens during the S cycle, doesn't it? Because everybody spends their money on the the new phone. I don't think Apple I don't think typically so. ha- I don't think Apple typically has year over year decline. Um, they have not the, for the, the past like since they launched the iPhone, they've never had a year over year decline in a specific quarter. But I, I think it's amazing that we're getting to iOS ten, and we're just now seeing a decline. Like, yeah, like imagining that ten years of growth of sales is pretty phenomenal exponential like, growth <laughs> yeah it's you know it, and apple still has some untapped markets you know china and india probably aren't um as has anywhere near the adoption the u.s has on iphones or or high-end smartphones um you know maybe android's popular there i don't know maybe windows phone is popular there but uh, apple's pretty no. new, new to those markets <laughs> Uh, so there's still some room for growth, and there's a reason why Apple every year is trying tries to encourage developers to translate their apps for for other markets. Windows Phone's not popular anywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true. really to pick on it, but it's just the truth. Yeah. I mean, it is a little bit popular in places where people buy their their phones outright as a normal thing because they usually tend to have decent hardware well just to be clear sam that's everywhere but the united states <laughs> well we're now um a lot of phone companies are moving away from the subsidized hardware which, yeah you know, eh, i they, don't know if they... they've just renamed it it's more out in the open what it is <laughs> well and now they have upgrade fees and, and things yeah well they've uh, they've always had that it's just i think they've increased the upgrade fees which I think if you just like buy an unlocked phone, swap your SIM card out, you upgrade without paying the $35 activation fee from the carrier. Yeah, yeah. But as far as China, there are uh, a number of Chinese phone manufacturers that make fairly high-end phones. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think the decline in sales is really, at this point, anything to be worried about. I mean, there's still over a billion active Apple devices out there in the wild. So it's still a very large market. You know, from a, a developer standpoint, you know, I, I don't think it's something to, to panic about and, and think that, you know, the, the days of mobile are over. It's just uh, they're finally getting to a point that the market's fairly saturated, in the, at least in the markets they're in. Yeah, and 
I really hope that they don't try to make a shift to being a services company because really the only company of that size to do that in the last few decades is IBM. And at least to do it successfully. If you look at companies like HP, yeah, they're... Well, not those. Those are different kind of services. Yeah, think. cloud services. More like what Microsoft's <laughs> doing with Azure, the Azure platform. And they're reasonably successful. I mean, Apple's one of their customers. So um, for now, anyway. I think Apple's just trying to say, hey, we're going to grow. Our, we have lots of revenue opportunity to, to grow within our current user base, which is, I mean, true. I mean, they can get you to play for, yeah, the iCloud storage, the iTunes, or sorry, Apple Music, used to be iTunes Match. I mean, all that stuff. I'm sure they're going to add new stuff come this year. Uh, and more rumors about them creating their own content for oh, yeah. the Apple TV. Yeah. <laughs> TV program. Yeah, TV programs. Yeah, which, our, our developer TV show that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think... Shh, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amazon and and Netflix and uh, Hulu have, uh, they probably have had some pretty bad shows, but they've also had some pretty good ones that are as good or better than the the more established uh, uh, brands out there. So um, oh, yeah. I don't know if Apple really knows how to do that yet, but you know, I, I think, the more content creators out there, the better, especially ones that aren't limited or by um, kind of old school thinking about what content people will buy or what's good for advertising. Yeah. And, you know, Apple was trying to do an a la carte model, but it doesn't sound like they're having any success getting anybody on board with that, or at least not the major studios. Well, we'll find out, maybe. Yeah, maybe in probably not in June. Yeah, I would guess it's always probably a... not in this next event. So I don't Prob- <laughs> probably they may not. not be able Otherwise, to make it happen. <laughs> we have Eddie Q on stage showing us his uh, his television Basketball playlist. Pictures. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> his, dan- his dancing with the stars. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, one, one other uh, thing that I thought was interesting that, that I came across that I think I found it in iOS Dev Weekly this week, this week is they had a link to the App Store Review Guideline History webpage. It's something that uh, someone put together. I guess they're called Shape, whatever that is. But it's, it's basically... Uh, Every time the App Store review guidelines change, and they just did on this last week, uh, they added like some Apple Music API and CareKit stuff. Uh, nothing really major that I really saw. Um, yeah, the hard part is you don't know what has changed necessarily. So this website gives you a diff of every time they, they change the review guidelines, and they also conveniently have a... Uh, uh, email list where you can subscribe whenever they change. So uh, as a developer, especially like if you're doing like consulting work, uh, being aware of whatever the latest changes are is really useful. 
Yeah. Oh, interestingly, uh, section 25.7 apps offering keyboard extensions must provide keyboard functionality. <laughs> I guess you can't have a, uh, straight up emoji keyboard anymore. I think, well, you can, I think David Smith talked about this when he released his emoji keyboard and I think he had to provide a keyboard in addition to the emoji keyboard. Hmm. If I recall, uh, it was on his uh, Developing Perspectives podcast. He talked about it shortly after custom keyboards came out. But, uh, yeah. yeah. If I recall well, correctly, he had to add additional functionality for a keyboard, whether it was used or not. There's that one guy, Marin. I don't remember his last name, but he writes for com, and he he also does a lot of, uh, he does a, a talk that, that he kind of tours around the circuit with the, what's after the indie apocalypse, I think is what it's called. But one of his apps that he worked on was a keyboard to basically send pictures and, uh, how he, he went through a lot of back and forth with Apple on that one. And it sounds like maybe from what I remember the description of the app, this was this guideline would probably nullify that keyboard, at least the way it stood. It was just a bunch of pictures that you'd paste into iMessage with. Yeah, and a lot of times the guidelines maybe get realized after people have submitted a bunch of apps, and they realize later what they do and, yeah. and don't want. Um, Which really people, sucks for developers. But. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know you might have gotten in before or you got the you got the reviewer that didn't really care <laughs> and let it through <laughs> and as long as you don't update it you're good yeah i have i don't know if you guys have noticed this but i feel like anytime you expedite an, an update it gets scrutinized more than than a normal review interesting no i've i haven't had that experience that hmm. I, I think uh one of the folks on our Slack channel had that happen to him recently, and I've I've had that happen two or three times now, where things that haven't changed uh, end up getting feedback during the expedited review. Oh, I've had that, but I haven't I haven't noticed. I don't. I try not to expedite much. Yeah. But I haven't noticed a correlation between those two things. Yeah, I don't do that often, but. I, like as, a lot of times it's metadata related like HealthKit they changed the guidelines for HealthKit so um, you had to say what your app did with HealthKit data in the metadata hmm. uh, so I don't know if that was there before or not but like you know it was a few releases in a few updates in before uh, we got the feedback that the metadata needed to be updated and it was on an expedited review. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't know if that's true, but just anecdotally, it seems that uh, expedited reviews can could get you in the trouble if 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 they do scrutinize it more. It's it's definitely a magical black box that we don't really know much about. <laughs> oh, and. You know, if you're expediting a review, that's like the worst time to 
they <laughs> have additional um, expectations yeah. placed on you. Well, I think that's about all the time we have left this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on Twitter? I'm at AJ Robinson. I'm at Sam Corder. And I'm at Alex Argo. You can find the podcast at Shared Instant. On Twitter, you can email us, sharedinstantpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and check us out on Slack. If you want to invite, just go to chat.sharedinstance.com. Yeah, a lot of good conversations happen there throughout the week that we don't cover on this podcast. And if you have suggestions for topics, that's a great place to go. Ask questions that you want us to cover on, on the podcast or share an app that you might like us to review for the for a future episode. All right, see you guys next week. Later. All right, see you.